football poop is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Pelzola back here with Sam Monson discussing all things Week 15 in the NFL. But first, don't forget about our friends over at Monkey Knife Fight, where you can put $20 into your account while using the promo code PFF, and you will receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's $40 of value for just $20, and you get the opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sites in the U.S., it's Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit 20 bucks with your promo code PFF today and receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. Also, special thanks to Action Pro. Subscribe to PFF Elite's annual subscription. Elite annual. Use the promo code ACTION to receive a year of Elite subscription access. And you also get that one year, 365 days of Action Pro subscription access for just the $199.99. Action Pro is Action Network's premium subscription offering tailor-made to make Avid and new betters better. This is a limited-time offer that is currently only made available now through the Super Bowl. That's February 7th, 2021. This offer only applies to first-time elite annual subscribers. Sam, I'm living the dream over here. Coming to you from my parents' basements. I see. Is, is that an upgrade or a downgrade? Going, you, you are literally the, um, the stereotype now. You're coming to us live from your parents' basement. That's why I said I'm living the dream. Look, I like the office and all that stuff, but, you know, coming to you live from, from your parents' basement, you know, we don't all get to experience this, but here we are with a little Christmas tree background, and uh, it's festive, but I'm ready to go. So it's just me sitting here on my own in the office. Look, we're still talking, together. We're side by side. We're right next to each other. Talking to you as a, as a television you are this is like some sort of absurd you know ai thing that i'm currently conversing with there's a camera a tv and a timer that's irrelevant but you know here we are well that's to keep us on time because we've got to keep it tight this week look at this amazing technology let's get into all of the week 15 action starting with thursday night football the los angeles chargers found a way to win against the las vegas raiders we called it potentially a shootout and it was 30 to 27 what we didn't call was Derek Carr getting hurt, Marcus Mariota coming in and balling out in this game for the Raiders. What were your thoughts on uh, on this game and the Chargers actually finding a way to win in the end on the Justin Herbert QB sneak? Yeah, this was a wild game where it was one of those games where I had like three or four different narratives at, at various stages during the game and all of them got blown to hell by the end of it. Um, you know, Mariota comes in, he's absolutely playing on fire and you're like, wow, this is... He got fixed, right? The, he had the hard reset that we've been talking about for Carson Wentz. You got him sat down. He lost his job. He had to go somewhere else, one of the highest paid backups in the NFL. And he got the chance to, like, get himself right. Goes out into the game, absolutely on fire. And then he starts making some bad decisions with the ball. You're like, oh, okay, yeah. 
It, you know, it didn't fix them all the way. Um, it, it was wild, like back and forth. It was kind of chaotic. But I do think that there's something to that idea of, you know, Marcus Mariota, A, showed the value of a good backup, even a high-priced one, even though they lost the game. And B, showed what you can accomplish in terms of, look, a guy is just heading down the wrong path. The only way to fix that is to take him out of the game, out of the starting lineup, and try and rebuild him from away from a, a starting job. Yeah, I mean, I, I tweeted out during the game, I said, hey, Marcus Mariota should have one of the 32 starting quarterback jobs in the NFL. Now, I later amended that because, of course, people are like, why do you love Mariota? I was like, I just said he's a top 32 quarterback in the world. That's the point. Is that a compliment? I mean, one guy caught it. He said, you're the king of backhanded compliments. I don't know. I was just saying he's, he's top 32. But I also wouldn't go out of my way at this point to build my program around Marcus Mariota. But if you're talking about a starting quarterback in the NFL, you know, the Bears rolled in with Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky this year. The Jags rolled in with Gardner Minshew. The Jets rolled in with Sam Darnold, which were all fine moves. But if you're going to rank the top 32 quarterbacks in the world, Marcus Mariota is still up there. And I still think Jameis Winston's in that group as well. So, Well, he you know. yeah, he becomes an intriguing option now for teams that are not quite – Teams that didn't get a shot at a Trevor Lawrence or whatever, right? So, and may not have the time um, and resources and, you know, rope in terms of their own job to rebuild completely with a rookie quarterback at the top of the draft again. So, let's think about a team like Denver, where it's like, all right, the Drew Locke thing is not going swimmingly, let's say, but they probably don't have the luxury of starting completely over with a rookie quarterback all over again. Maybe they bring in a guy like Mariota, who apparently can still start at a high level, and now the quarterback actually has impetus to get better. And if he doesn't, he gets pulled from the game, and Mariota is your starter, and probably a pretty significant upgrade. Yeah, and uh, look, I, I don't think anything changed about Marcus Mariota as a player. He just happened to have those, you know, uh, uh, most of a game to to show it. He's It's not like he did anything on Thursday night that he hasn't at least shown before in the past. So... Good for him. He did look like he had a little more zip on the ball, though. I've always called him, you know, an average average arm type of guy. It looked like he was zipping around a little bit better. And then Justin Herbert continues to impress and, you know, just find a way to get the job done, making big-time throws, getting the ball down the field. So um, we'll talk about Trevor Lawrence and, like, rookie expectations. But Herbert's, you know, when we look back at the season, we're going to say, all right, Herbert's been there and beyond and, exceeded what we expected or you know maybe he's been exactly what other people have expected but um, he's given the Chargers I think uh, some hope going forward you see that uh, fourth quarter magic to to lead the victory and you know they, they'll they'll have an interesting offseason as they try to get back into the hunt in the AFC West nice little win for the Chargers there on Thursday night football let's go to the two Saturday games man you keep trolling me again Mm. Buffalo and Denver, you still forty-eight don't... to nineteen. The Buffalo Bills dominate the Denver Broncos, who had no cornerbacks available in this one. Little reminder, Sam, but Josh Allen balling out outside of a couple turnover-worthy plays. No cornerback. How dare you besmirch the good name of Ojemudia? Um, Even he got banged up. Well, that's true. You still don't appear to have signed it though, and you actually drove through Bills Mafia country. Took. Your yeah. own life in your own hands. Um, and I made a stop, saw some people with some Bills masks on and was was waiting for some waiting for confrontation. Mm. But I was ready. 
Luckily, you're built for confrontation, you know? At I least, am. At least from the outside. I'm not sure it would go so well if anybody actually got past the facade. I look taller outside of the podcast is the thing, so I don't know if anybody would have uh, confronted me. But Bill's Mafia is excited. I think, that, you know, they were, like, welcoming them, wel- welcoming the team back from Denver. They do all sorts of that stuff. Uh, but once again, a good all-around team win by the Bills. So are you just dismissing this as it was Denver, they didn't have any cornerbacks, so it doesn't count? Is this this more Josh Allen hate that, oh, eh, this isn't as expected? Oh, no, he was great. Okay. He had a couple bad, he had a couple bad plays in there, but outside so of that, he was fantastic. How many more of him, how many more games of him being great is it going to take for you to have to sign the it's apology not, I, I mean, I don't even think there's any, like a season. It's just, what am I apologizing for? not believing in the man. I called him a first-round pick. First-round picks have a range of outcomes that include this. Hmm. So really, we've reached the point where you're just not signing out of stubbornness, not not out of uh, not out of being wrong. You've acknowledged that yeah, you, were, you, you screwed it up. Didn't miss. Didn't miss. <laughs> uh, he looked great. Big-time throws left and right. And I, once look, the, the same thing every single week. The Bills' offense... Look, the same stuff we say about the Chiefs offense, which is they have a lot of answers for the for for every defense that they face, whether it's Mahomes making special plays, whether it's Tyreek Hill being tough to cover, Travis Kelsey being tough to cover, they scheme it up. Are we at the point where we can say this not maybe the Bills aren't at the same exact level, but they're at a similar level where you can either have Josh Allen doing special stuff. Cole Beasley dominating underneath, Stephon Diggs dominating everywhere else, and, you know, Josh Allen running the ball. They just have answers for everything, plus the play calling is really good. Are the Bills at that level at this point offensively? They're one of the few teams that I think can legitimately go toe-to-toe with the Chiefs in terms of supporting cast for the quarterback, right? So the receiving core top to bottom, um, its its strengths are in slightly different areas. Obviously, the Chiefs have a Travis Kelsey Buffalo doesn't. On the other hand, Buffalo is probably deeper at wide receiver. Um, the play calling, I think, is it's pretty close. Brian Dabble compared with Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy. You know, maybe they're not quite on the same level if just because of Reid's longevity and you know proven track record and that kind of thing. But he's right up there. Um, so yeah, the the supporting cast I think is pretty much dead on. At which point, the difference between the two teams on offense is the quarterback and Patrick Mahomes versus Josh Allen. And where it becomes really interesting is that Josh Allen for what, a third of this season, maybe a bit more has played at Patrick Mahomes levels when he's on, when Josh Allen is on, he is, he is a match for Patrick Mahomes. It's not the same stylistically. Backhanded compliment now, Sam, you're not, you don't think he's as good as uh, Patrick Mahomes. You think comparing Josh Allen to the game's greatest quarterback is a backhanded compliment in some way. We will see how the mafia takes this. We will see. If this is taken as a slight, I would be stunned. Not, I'm not ruling it out, but I would be stunned. You still won't hear about it because you've muted all your friends. It's the perfect plan. So for a period of time, like when Josh Allen is on, he can match Patrick Mahomes, which means the Buffalo Bills offense can match the Chiefs offense when Josh Allen is playing at the peak of his powers. Um, and it also means that they become a legitimate rival for the Chiefs in the playoffs in that they can beat anybody when Josh Allen is playing like that. The concern and the reason that they're not the Chiefs and that there's you know a significant difference between the two 
um, in terms of all all the things we look at, PFFs, ELO ratings, you know, even record, whatever, is he's not at that level every single week the way Mahomes is, right? Mahomes doesn't really have bad games almost ever. Um, Josh Allen does. He has games where he's not playing at this kind of level. And when they do have those games, the Bills have that fairly significant drop-off. But the fact that they... The fact that that's even in their range of outcomes makes them different from almost any other team in the NFL. Got to talk about Drew Locke on the other side. I think he might be a good PFF daily topic. We've talked about We talked on uh, Friday what the Patriots should do with Cam Newton. Uh, the PFF daily today is a little bit more Jets-centric, talking about the number one overall Jets and Jags, number one overall pick. So we, the daily's been good for just quarterback discussions. I think the Drew Locke one is probably worth an entire episode. He has a 43.6 grade in this one. He was coming off one of his better passing grades of his uh, very short career. But again, uh, just inconsistency, uh, turnover-worthy plays, not taking advantage of some of the playmakers that they have in Denver. And I think I think the Broncos, are, again, are going to have some decisions to make. You know, because when I make a statement like Marcus Mariota is a top 32 quarterback in the world. It's not that I'm saying, hey, the Denver Broncos are a team that needs to go build around Marcus Mariota. I'm just saying Mariota is better than what Denver's trotting out there every single week. He's Drew Locke's not playing like a top 32 quarterback. So I think that, you know, what do you think? Daily topic for that? Yeah, definitely at some stage. I mean, you know, I took a ton of crap before the season for ranking Drew Locke, I think, 32nd in our quarterback rankings. And Too high. Right. I don't know if he's done anything to dispel that ranking so far. Now, maybe you can say he should have been ranked ahead of certain other people that also were a disaster so far this season, but he's not been the answer. And, I'm, you know, we're not seeing a ton that suggests he's going to be. Like in this game, he actually made some really nice throws, and that's the frustrating part of Drew Locke is you can see the upside. You can see the high-end plays, and they're they're great, but – he doesn't see the field the same way as some of these other quarterbacks. And when things break down, he's still trying to do that college thing of, well, I have a, a cannon for an arm and it's college. So when things break down, nobody really covers well. So let's just heave it 50 yards deep. And that's where I make my money. Um, well, you know, uh, in the NFL, that doesn't work, right? Because people can actually cover and you're just trying the low percentage plays too often the, the great one of the great parts of Patrick Mahomes is when all these plays break down, look how often he's aiming seven yards downfield, right? He's not necessarily aiming these things 60 yards for the bomb. Drew Locke is always looking for that, and he needs to just – there was a play or two in that game um, where he did, but most of the time he's looking for the big break-it play and not just the simple keep the chains moving, give yourself a chance for the next drive um, play, and that – I don't know if you learned that or if that's just inherent in your makeup and a really difficult thing to shake. Yeah, it wasn't a great performance from those good Denver playmakers either. Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick, KJ Hamler, a couple drops in there and everything. So um, it wasn't like, you know, Noah Fant was, was fantastic, but it wasn't like all of those guys helped him either, but just a poor offensive performance overall for the Broncos as the Bills just, you know, showed their dominance. I'm going to say it again. The Bills, one of the best all-around teams in the NFL. Really breaking news there. Mm. about the bills who are officially afc east champs sam yeah first time since 1995 Con congrats to uh to the mafia for that the other saturday game carolina panthers at the green bay packers this was exactly what you were saying for the last couple of weeks about the packers 24 to 16 victory 
it felt like the Packers had this in hand the entire time. Their first, I believe it was their first drive. They just go down the field easily. Um, I want to make the statement too. Aaron Rodgers now has 40 touchdowns. An incredible run of tight red zone just designed this year. <laughs> Passing offense by the Packers. Matt LaFleur, uh, so many wide open touchdowns, including one in this game. Uh, but then the Carolina Panthers started to do a pretty nice job defensively. And your point coming in was the Packers always feel like they're in control and they're moving it and they should be able to dominate and they can't pull away. And this game really exemplified that as well. Yeah, I, I haven't looked at this, but I'd be interested to know how many quarters this season that the Packers haven't scored in, right? Because there's a hu there's almost a, a huge portion of every game where it just looks so easy. They rack up points, they're 21 up. Um and then they just stop scoring for a period and the other team pulls their way back into it. And that was the story in this, right? They were seven points in the first quarter, 14 the second, and then nothing in the third and three points in the fourth quarter. And it was enough because, the, you know, they, they always seem to have it in reserve. But I'm just, I don't understand why this team can't seem to pull away once they are playing a clearly inferior opponent. Um, and it's... They struggle on the side of the ball that they are best at, right? It's the offense that stalls. It's like they, it's like they're geared wrong or something. Like they fire off the line, they're flying away, they're gapping their opponent, and they they just hit the rev limiter and drop back into their clutches. Yeah, again, it's I think the Packers were upset about it too. You know, they were like, "Hey, we're looking at the film." Obviously, they're looking at the film, but they were acknowledging the fact that offensively. Uh, it just wasn't there. There were a lot of plays. It's either, look, they were running the ball like crazy and then trying to, obviously they want to put point, points on the board, but you know, even when they're in milk the clock situations, it was a lot of just quick passing game and the Panthers defense was flying around. I, I want to go back to what we've said earlier in the year about this Panthers team. You look at the depth chart, they're, they're not really talented. They, on the de on, on defense, at least. All that investment that they put defensively, it's not that they're bad necessarily. They've got a lot of young players that can develop, um, including in the secondary. We've seen flashes from Jeremy Chin, Mr. You know, Fumble Six guy, even though he's had his ups and downs, and Troy Pride Jr. and Dante Jackson. They've got young guys who can develop, but they've always felt a little overmatched. But in a game like this, I thought they did a nice job flying downhill, limiting yards after the catch by the Packers, limiting big plays but yeah green bay needs to find a way to put together the old the old uh 60 minute game sam how do you find answers for that 60 minute game and presumably they have all the answers that's what makes this curious right right you have aaron Rodgers who can attack every level of the field you have a pretty good running attack led by aaron jones you have all the answers on your team you know there's really no good reason why they're not scoring 30 plus every single time out there um, especially in a game like this against the Panthers. Right, and I think the Panthers, that this season has been really encouraging for them because of everything you just said, right? They are, they're talented, but it's all extremely young talent. It's not necessarily proven. And they've already, I think, massively overachieved from what we thought they would do, which in theory should be a great platform for 2021 and beyond, right? This, for a foundational year to, to set the bedrock of what you're trying to build here, as a new regime, it can't really have gone that much better than it did. Yeah, absolutely. So, look, I think I think Matt Rule's doing some nice stuff over there, and there's there's things to build. The offense was a little disappointing in this one, too. We'll talk about their quarterback situation as well going forward because 
you know, is Teddy Bridgewater their guy going forward? He felt like a bridge type of quarterback, but we'll have even more offseason discussion about the Panthers and where they should go offensively. Well, all right, let's get into tomorrow, yesterday's action. Tomorrow. Finally into Sunday. Let's, what's that? We're finally into Sunday. Finally into Sunday. Look, there's, there's football every day now. It's great. Let's go to the Chiefs and Saints game. It was one of the few 4 o'clock games, 32-29. to 29. What a weird game as far as the score goes. Another one where it felt like the Chiefs were dominating. You got a couple plays here and there, turnover. Just kind of keeping the Saints in there. I thought both Breeze, like Breeze should have had about five picks in this game. He was clearly playing hurt. He admitted as much. Mm-hmm. And uh, Patrick Mahomes also got away with some stuff as well. But we still go back to, you said Mahomes doesn't have bad games, Sam. The reality is the Chiefs offense doesn't have bad games because even on his bad games, if there's a little bit of turnover luck his way, he'll still come back with a couple special throws. Plus you have all of these playmakers that can just do incredible things across the board. So yeah, you stumble into 32 points even when Mahomes wasn't great the entire game. Right, but there's a difference between wasn't great and bad, right? There's like eight quarterbacks with a worse grade than Patrick Mahomes this week. Like this was as bad as Patrick Mahomes gets and he still had a reasonable grade, put up, you know, decent points, put up some touchdowns, had five big-time throws. This was like early in the season. Remember when he was like the best-graded quarterback ever with five turnover-worthy plays? Um, he had three in this game. The two quarterbacks in this game combined for seven turnover-worthy plays, and yet both of them were actually pretty productive. Like, that's how insane— Only one actual interception in this game. Yes, but that's how insane— Mahomes did have, a, did have a fumble. That's how insane the sort of overall offenses are for both these teams, is that their quarterbacks can actually go out there and— pitch the ball to the opposition at a frightening degree, and yet they still rack up a ton of offense. Drew Brees, really tough, man. Uh, he's got the broken ribs. He clearly wasn't 100%. Again, he admitted after the show, after the after the show, after the game, that he was not working at 100%, essentially. Uh, during the week, Sean Payton fooled us, saying he was going to wait until his guy was 100%. Uh, but Brees wanted to come back for this game. I credit him for that, but you could tell from, like, the first throw, Sam, it was off. You know, he threw an interception along the sideline. The receiver could have done a better job, but everything he was throwing was kind of floating out there. Even the seam route touchdown that he threw, it was a good adjustment by the receiver. It was just, hey, he's chucking it up there. He ended up with three touchdowns on a check down and a tap pass. And uh, the offense, the Saints offense found a way to, to put points on the board, but they were clearly – it could have been a lot worse if the Chiefs could hang on to some of those errant throws that Breeze was chucking into triple coverage, threw one to Bashad Breeland. There was some ugly stuff in there. What do you make of them even starting Breeze in this game? Because, as you said, clearly wasn't 100%. Essentially scoffed at the idea that he was when it was put to him after the game. Um, and I saw somebody in the, in the broadcast talking about how you know, you need to get him – sorry, it was Tony Dungy on Football Night in America last night saying, look, you need to get him back, like just used to playing again because you need him for the postseason, right? Um, of course, the flip side of that is you need him for the postseason, so you might not want to put a guy out there with 45% of a rib cage. Uh, like, is this just how important the Saints think the number one seed is in the NFC for them? That they – okay, they need Drew Brees, but they also desperately need – the playoffs to come through New Orleans. I was actually going to quote Dungy too, and I think the point he made was if your ace tells you he can go, you go with him. And, okay. and I really think that they deferred to that. You don't know. Uh, okay. 
you don't What's talk that? to a doctor? No? You're just like, oh, well, Drew says he's good to go, so let's roll. Yeah, I mean, at some point, Dr. Monson, you just say, look, 80% on your rib break. Can can they break more? You know, is it is it worth the risk? I mean, it's not like at some point it's it's just pain management, right? It's, at some point in the recovery, it becomes pain management. Yeah. And it, and when it becomes pain management, that's when you're deferring to the guy who's got to handle the you know deal with the pain, and say, do I give it to my veteran quarterback, who when he's healthy is is most likely the better option than my backup. And I think that's just where they were. I, I don't know that it necessarily was, you know, get ready for the playoffs or the number one seed. It's Breeze was going to come back when he felt like he could handle it. And this is when he thought he could handle it. Matt, to me, Breeze is the last person that should be making that determination. Um, whether it's medical, the doctor giving you a line and saying, okay, now he's at least cleared to play. Or whether it's you as the coach judging what he's doing in practice, I couldn't think of a worse person to be making the call than Drew Brees himself because of course he's going to say he can go right like I'm, this I'm is, not saying it's just his call I'm, I'm saying right but like he, the he had, the dungeon like you don't I no, you, you don't defer to him when he says all right I'm good to go now because you just watched him like you know gimp his way around practice like uh, heaving the ball no you make that call that's why you're the head coach presumably I, look I'm not saying it's just Breeze's call I'm saying from the top down from the head coach, Sean Payton saying, okay, when I get Breeze to a certain level, I'm rolling with him over Taysom Hill. And they felt like he was at that level, clearly. And he still might have been. It still might have been 80% of Drew Breeze, which, you know, when you go 80% of the arm that he was trotting out there when he was 100%, it's not good. And you saw that a bunch, right? The accuracy was off. Ball's just floating up there. It just wasn't good. Um, it felt like there was the one game. We always compare the Payton 2015 season. 20, 2015 Payton wasn't like an – absolute disaster the entire year there were like flashes and he was fine but overall you could tell he was off but there was the one game he was playing with like a quad injury and he just kept trying to throw like deep outs that just didn't get there and he threw four picks against the Chiefs I thought that's what we were going to see we basically saw that from Breeze in this game he should have had four and uh you know that's what it felt like it was like this injured already declining quarterback was even more injured in this particular game and just fighting an uphill battle right I give him credit for at least trying I thought the Saints were going to lose this either way, and the fact that they even kept it close I thought was a minor miracle. Yeah, and it, be, it was thanks in part to you know Kansas City, like Patrick Mahomes having a relatively off game. The, the Saints did a pretty good job of defense as well, um, despite you know losing some guys during the course of the game. Uh, Cameron Jordan gets himself ejected for punching a guy during a play, um, which, by the way, is becoming like, it's, I don't want to say a trend, but this is at least the third time he's done something like that during the course of a play. And the first two, maybe three, um, you could kind of make an excuse for in terms of what he was trying to do. You know, like trying to punch the ball, got it wrong in the course of like split second, rapid fire reaction kind of stuff. This one, it seemed pretty hard to make an excuse for that. Like there's... He got frustrated because the guy was actually tying him up pretty well. I just like roundhouse punched him in the head. Um, I even like the absolute best way of most favorable way of um, looking at this for his point of view is he tried to do something massively illegal and head slap him because he was getting annoyed by getting blocked. But like that was pretty bad. And that's at least the third time I can think of of him literally punching somebody during the course of a play. Which, which in general is concerning. Yes. Punching anybody with a helmet. 
Yeah, it's not, not, it's not good. And it got him ejected. Is he their Walter Payton man of the era guy? <laughs> I, don't think that, I don't think that factors in uh, how many times you punch people on the field. I think it's, you know. I wasn't, I wasn't suggesting that. Oh, okay. I, just, I think it was him and uh, Travis Kelsey, I believe, right? Anyway, I look, the Saints defense is legit. I also think every time the Saints, uh, <laughs> every time I see the Saints team defense numbers, which are really good, they need to just, just take out the Kendall Hinton game. It's just not fair that they have one game where a guy couldn't complete a pass and it's into it's in their stats and making them look like the 85 Bears. Anyway, the Saints the, the Saints defense is still pretty legit. I thought they did a really nice job, right? And this is this is the thing, right? They did a really nice job against the Saints giving up 32. Yeah, still didn't matter. They really did. Yeah. You know, they Mahomes felt like he was under pressure, which you when when Mahomes feels like he's under pressure, it's usually because you're just just taken away what he wants to do on the back end and making him hold the ball and scramble around and try to make hero plays quite a bit. By the way, he did make that nice hero play that touchdown along the sideline in the end zone. That was just ridiculous. So even on in a game where Mahomes should have thrown a few picks, he sprinkles those in too. And, yeah. it, and again, that's why they're so tough to defend in Kansas City. That play was so ridiculous that everybody assumed that it was just like a throwaway, you know, one of those plays where you sort of throw it vaguely in the direction of the bank pylon, knowing that there's no chance he's going to catch it. And he'll, he'll sort of bring it in like two yards out of bounds just because that was the safe place to put it. Everyone yep. just assumed that's what it was. And they're like, no, no, that was like a perfect pass into the back of the end zone. And he caught that actually with some room to spare. And she's like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, that, that's not supposed to happen. Um, it's the same story we've been saying all season long, which is your margin for error for beating the Chiefs is nothing. Um, you can have a great game on defense. You can do some damage, and it doesn't matter because they're that good. Now, it also showed that, look, that margin for error also factors in your offense, right? Like you can't have you can't have a crippled Drew Brees out there slinging the ball to the opposition multiple times. That that is more than the margin for error you have of winning this game, right? If you're going to have this kind of defensive performance and you're actually going to shell shock Patrick Mahomes into a relatively mortal game, you need to have your quarterback show up and be good. And the Saints didn't. They had this shell of Drew Brees, who's already a shell of what Drew Brees is, out there trying to get it done. It wasn't enough. All right, so Chiefs 32, Saints 29. We'll see if the Saints... Do they make a decision going forward to rest Breeze in at least one of these next two games? Well, they've, at this point, they've right, got an interesting decision to make here. Yeah, I can see the case for fighting for the number one seed after last week, right? You lost it, but you're still right there with the Packers neck and neck. Now you just went another game back. At this point, forget it. Like Drew Breeze, forget seeding. Drew Breeze is the important thing. You need a 100% healthy Drew Breeze for the postseason unless you think you can run the table with Taysom Hill and or, and or Jameis Winston, knowing that the end of the, sta the table probably rests with the Chiefs. I would suggest you can't do that. So the only priority you should have at this point is getting Drew Brees healthy. So sit him down. Don't put him out there. You still think Brees is the best option for the Saints in the playoffs? Yeah, because Taysom Hill clearly isn't. And, I mean, it's we don't know about Jameis, right? Maybe. High-end Jameis is, right? But can you guarantee you're going to get that guy for any stretch of time? You... I don't even think Jameis is a part of the conversation anymore. Same. I don't either. But that that is the other option to me. Like, J uh, Taysom Hill definitely is not, right? Drew Brees, 
whether it's his age, health, all those kinds of things, maybe. Um, but the only other alternative would be Taysom or Jameis Winston that we just don't know because he hasn't really been in that offense um, on the field long enough. Now, if you could guarantee me you were going to get good Jameis for like five straight games, absolutely. But there's no way that's happening ever. All right, let's go around the rest of the league here. I mean, we're going around the league, but let's go to the AFC South. How hard could it be? Pretty difficult again because the Tennessee Titans and the Indianapolis Colts both win. Once again, the Titans defeat the Lions 46-25. to 25. Man, this Titans offense is humming. They are just really difficult to stop, Sam. And Tannehill played well once again. That that grade's creeping back up into that top five range. So even though midseason we said, oh, here's the Tannehill regression, it really wasn't happening. <laughs> he, was, he was playing okay, and he's stringing together another – uh, another bunch of good games here. And he's getting he's getting some turnover luck too, by the way. If we're gonna call it out for Mahomes and for Breeze, Tannehill's getting a ton of turnover luck in there too. But man, this offense is tough to stop. Yes. Um, but also let's factor in the Detroit Lions. Uh okay. It, they've definitely reached the category now of defenses that need an asterisk next to them when you're talking about the opposing offense's performance. Heading into this game. Detroit was one of the worst teams in the NFL in terms of tackling, in terms of uh, stopping aggressive running attacks, yards uh, yards before contact on average, all those kinds of things, right? And you're going up against Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown, like these physical freaks that dominate regular defenses. So it was always looking like a, a game that could go this way. Then you factor in, you know, Ryan Tannehill carving up a defense that hasn't, or a secondary that hasn't been able to stop anybody all season long. And that's where you get to 46 points and everything looking like it's fantastic. So, agreed. This was the Tennessee Titans offense at the peak of its powers, relying not just on those two physical monsters, but on Ryan Tannehill slinging it around, um, you know, making some plays with his legs, hitting Hall of Famer Corey Davis on a. And that was a. Yeah, so you say that, right? <laughs> that yes. was that was like yes. a great play call that just killed the defense because the poor free safety has to deal with a vertical route coming at him in the open field that that has a two-way go. So all Corey Davis does is, you know, make him come inside, like just break back to the outside. It was a it's a, route it was I mean, a nice incredible. route. On the other hand, it was basically a no-lose prospect for the wide receiver. Like one-on-one -on -one against a free safety, a game over. The Titans do a really good job of route combinations yeah. in that in the mid deep middle of the field. They do a great job of that, putting safeties in a bind, running, you know, coast, post corners, corner posts, you know, for lack of, you know, for just simple terms there. Um, and Davis, yeah, had, what, 75-yard touchdown there. Yeah. There was also a two-play sequence. And uh, I was trying to tweet the video, but Twitter's video system is just all screwed up somehow now. Um, Corey Davis was wide open in the end zone, Sam. This might, be, might have been the – I think it was back-to-back -back plays. It was at least back-to-back -back passes. The worst two-play sequence of red zone defense I've ever seen. <laughs> because Corey Davis was standing in the end zone by himself, and Tannehill missed him. Damn it. And I'm like, okay, that's, you know, Corey Davis's Hall of Fame prospects. You know, can't – it's tough. It's tough to go to the Hall of Fame when a guy's missing you wide open in the end zone. And then the very next play, there's a wide open rece receiver in the flat, as, as wide open as Corey Davis on the previous pass. So – uh Two back-to-back -back passing plays in the red zone that were just a, yeah, just bad by the Lions. So, uh, you know, look, they are what they are. The coaching change, they're bad defensively. Titans took advantage. Two other things to come from this game. One, Derrick Henry breaks out the stiff arm from hell again. 
I do not understand if you're a defender coming to tackle Derrick Henry, particularly like from the side with some lead-up time, right? It's not like he just suddenly appeared in front of you and buried you into the ground. You were chasing him down and therefore probably should have seen this coming. Like, why Why do you not go with the technique of slapping the arm down, then making the tackle? Like, leading with your I, face into his stiff arm is not a good strategy. Why don't you strap him up, Sam? Oh, I'd love and to uh, put a little demonstration of what you would do here. I tell you if, you, if you can hook that up, we'll get Jack on the phone. Jack's probably got Derek's, Derek's cell number, right? Yeah. Once the COVID is over, I will be all for attempting that for video giggles. We'll put it on YouTube. It'll be awesome. I'm there. I'm would there. Would you do a better job than Jack? Jack poor Jack Collinsworth. Got to give him credit. Went out there, took the Derrick Henry stiff arm. He did. And uh, you think you could do a better job than Jack? I will not put it out there before it happens. We'll have to see the video evidence. Um, okay. And then the other thing to come from this game was a Matthew Stafford no-look pass that is May, I think Ridiculous. it's my favorite no-look pass that I've ever seen. Forget anything Mahomes has done. This is better. It was no-look into the end zone, into a tight window. It was absurd. Yeah. If you were looking at this pass, it's like, okay, that's one of the better passes in the tight red zone because he anticipated it, threw it around the defender, put it right on that front number it, it took, in the back of the end zone, and, and Stafford went full no-look on it. It took, like, two viewings to get the true majesty of what it was, right? Like, initially, it's like, oh, look, a no-look pass. And it's like, hang on, was that window as tight as it looked? Run that back again. Let me see just what the pass looked like. Even Forget the no-look part. Um, yeah, it's one of those ones that you need – the all 22 look for and when it comes out it's just absolutely disgustingly good i just want to say matthew stafford over the last six games all in the green two in the blue i mean just really good across the board after having an up and down start to the season this is uh, what he does to you daryl daryl bevels talk about how beat up he was this week yeah and i know i know your thoughts on it <laughs> you want my thoughts on the air yeah go ahead since you texted me about him well he was like you know matthews if you guys could only see what he was like during the week for him to go out there and ball out like this on sunday it's just it's like a minor miracle you're like okay i'm i'm sure that's true i am sure that during the week matthew stafford is like limping around barely able to move because he's torn rib cartilage and i can only imagine that is excruciating on the other hand on sunday he's almost certainly like tordalled up to the gills and therefore doesn't feel anything anymore right and that probably explains both how he balls out on Sunday, and how crippled he is during the week when he isn't on tar at all. So, what's Drew Brees' excuse then? He's got the same. What's his excuse? He's 42 years old and has 11 broken ribs. Oh, okay. Not just a little uh, torn cartilage? No. He, you have 24 ribs. 45% of Drew Brees' rib cage is in more pieces than they're supposed to be. Uh, the point on Stafford that I've made the last few weeks, he's balling out down the stretch here. And... It's a, probably another QB, you know, NFL daily. Sucking you right back in. Type of top topic here. The new regime in Detroit, are they going to sit there and say, all right, Stafford's our guy. He's still only like 21 years old, Sam. He's still young, right? And we're going to move. We, we've seen what he can do. We can see the high end. We can't get better than Stafford. Or is he really playing himself into contention for a Broncos trade, a Patriots trade, a Colts trade. We keep listing these teams that have either quarterback question marks or a one-year contract quarterback that they're going to potentially move on, well, likely move on from or have to, or maybe retire in Rivers' case, whatever it might be. Pittsburgh Steelers 
are there other teams that are going to be, you know, knocking on the door for the Detroit Lions the way Stafford's playing down the stretch here? I'm sure That's there's some cool. teams that will be inquiring, you know, picking up the phone saying, hey, is Matthew Stafford available? On the other hand, I suspect that exactly what's happening is Stafford is playing his way into the plans of whatever the new regime is, right? They will look at the back end of this season like people looked at the half the season a year ago where he was out playing out of his mind and they saying, this is what we're going to get. If we can get this Matthew Stafford going forward, everything's gravy. And I'm not ruling out the idea that it's possible, right? Daryl Bevel is an offensive-minded coach. All the guys he's had before have been defensive-minded. Maybe, maybe this is where Matthew Stafford can get to in the future. On the other hand, I think there's a pretty healthy chance that it isn't, and it's just fool's gold again that will be chased, pounced upon, and found to be worthless. I am intrigued by Daryl Bevel has gotten the best out of Stafford these last couple of years. Now, they have a complete overhaul of their offensive uh, playmakers this offseason. Bevel's gotten the best out of Stafford. The idea of, you know, if you just hire a really good defensive coach to just focus on that side of the ball – that structure could potentially work in Detroit. We'll talk more again this offseason. Let's go to the other team in the AFC South that we mentioned, the Indianapolis Colts. They take care of business against the Houston Texans, 27-20, to 20, hanging tough with the Tennessee Titans in the South there. Uh, look, it was just a, a necessary game. It's what they had to do. And the Texans continue to be just, you know, a sad team as Deshaun Watson does all that he can. Leading the comeback and oh, my boy, Kiki QT, why, you know, about to score the game-tying touchdown and fumbles it into the end zone. This is just typical of the anti-Darius Leonard propaganda that you put out there oh. on this podcast. This was a game-saving force fumble by Sorry. not friend of the show, Darius Leonard, who literally saved the game. As you said, the Deshaun Watson, I was sort of, I was writing the, the refocus on this and I was going to be like, this was like, Indianapolis Colts versus Deshaun Watson was essentially what this game was. And it just it was typical that at the death, he gets let down by his teammates. And it was a little bit unfair, so I reworded it. During the course of the game overall, that wasn't quite what was happening. It was still largely Deshaun Watson versus the Colts, but he wasn't like being undermined at every possible turn by his teammates the way he has been in some other games this year. But that did kind of typify his season, right? It's He's... It's fourth down. They extend the drive. He gets the ball to QT. He's trying to get his way into the end zone. And then, bam, Darius Leonard forces the ball out. And not just, like, fumble fumble into the end zone, recovery, touchback, game over. Like, it's just that play right there killed the game. And for the Colts, massive bullet dodge. Like, coming into this game, like it, it felt like a bit of a trap game. The potential for this to happen and they were they were driving to tie the game and or win it, depending if you had the guts to go for two or whatever. Um, and instead, the Colts save, not save the season, but save seeding and, you know, put themselves in a better position because of it. Both teams, Titans and Colts, now 10-4. and four. The Colts get to avenge their loss against the Jaguars in Week 17. Do you avenge that by losing on purpose so they can't get Trevor Lawrence? Oh, wow, that good. would be some 3D chess. Right. Sacrificing a sacrificing a likely position in seeding yourself to ensure that Trevor Lawrence is not in your division for the next ten years. It could happen if you don't if you've got the playoffs clinched up and you just don't you don't have a shot at the uh, at the division title. Oh, certainly, certainly. If seeding isn't a factor, then you, yeah. 
but if if it what that would be really interesting if they like actually went out there and were like you know what we're okay with dropping from like five to six in the seeds to avoid trevor lawrence coming in this division man we'll get there we'll get there when we get there but uh the colts continue to win football games uh passing game solid rivers to uh, ty hilton up the seam Whew, that was a beauty rivers man discuss rivers really quick let's discuss rivers really quick because this whole the point i made last week you wrote rivers off sign the apology form on rivers what you were calling him an old man and he can't make throws he's an old man shot and you bought into the entire narrative and i said you throw him into a dome he's gonna look good this year look at him yeah i mean i good i think i've said pretty consistently that if rivers doesn't have to do that much and he doesn't make critical mistakes he can be the quarterback that they want that they, that Jacoby Brissett wasn't able to be right that basically is their standard we had this really good roster we thought Jacoby Brissett could elevate his game with Andrew Luck retired and lead it and not screw it up be game manager plus and he wasn't able to be he was bad uh, like Rivers can come in and do that and he has right he had some wobbles earlier in the season he's had a few games where he's made those critical mistakes and those games they lose but when he doesn't do that yeah, he can lead the offense and be half decent. My point is that every time we try to use the old man narrative or the young quarterback's getting better and he's good forever argument, you see examples otherwise. So every time people were ready to write off Phillip Rivers in the last, like, eight years, he comes back and plays, you know, better than average football, pretty good football. So stop giving up on Phillip Rivers, everybody, especially in a dome. All right, let's wrap up some more AFC talk. New England Patriots at Miami Dolphins, 22-12. to Dolphins win. New England Patriots officially out of the playoffs, first time since 2008. And officially, here's the big narrative, Sam. They don't, they just can't make the playoffs without Tom Brady. Uh, last two years. I thought the Last big, two years, they haven't had Tom Brady, haven't made the playoffs. I thought the big years. narrative was going to be Tommy Gunn beats the snot out of Rocky on the street fight. That uh, Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Recycle. Recycle your Rocky Five take. Yeah, this is the way it's supposed to go, right? The, the younger, more talented, you know, boxer in his prime beats the old man who still thinks apparently he can beat the world heavyweight champion in, in a random street fight late in the movie. Uh, yeah, so what's really weird is that Miami keeps getting these freaky plays on defense bounce their way. Now, they actually almost, they got screwed out of one, right? They had, um, was it Christian Wilkins? touch the ball heading out of bounds and cost them a touchdown. Cam Newton fumbles. Xavier Howard takes it for a fumble six, but the review showed Christian Wilkins was touching the ball out of bounds. Therefore is just at the spot. Right. Um, But they keep getting these, what in theory are completely unsustainable breaks going their way in terms of turnovers and defense and those kinds of things. Um, And, and yet it happens. We week in week out. It's an interesting one because this is, from a narrative standpoint, this is where you would people say, hey, this coach, I haven't heard it specifically about Flores, this coach focuses on turnovers. Like every every Tuesday or every Wednesday they do the tip drill and they just emphasize turnovers. Well, that was the Lovey Smith like, thing for okay. years, right? It just doesn't work that way necessarily because every team emphasizes turnovers to a point and it will regress. It makes Miami an interesting projection for next year. Because by all accounts, the team's getting better. The defense has made great strides since they looked like a Big 12 defense when Flores first got there early in 2019. Now they're competitive. They challenge every route. They challenge passes. They play tight man coverage. The offense is getting a little bit better with Tua. 
under center now. But next year, we're going to look at this turnover ratio, like all these turnovers they forced him to be like, man, I don't know if they could sustain that. They actually could regress a little bit. We're, oh, we're going to pour some cold water on the optimism in Miami. But this is great. They're in the playoff. They're right in the middle of the playoffs. They took care of business against the division leader. This, like I said, coming into this weekend, the next two games for the Patriots, going up against the Dolphins, going up against the Bills, I think it's going to feel like this you know, shift of power officially in the AFC East. And this was the first step to that. The Bills and Patriots play again on Monday night. So Dolphins took care of business because they're the better team. This and they're, season, man. they're in this dogfight for the final see the final playoff spot the seventh the additional wild card spot for this year's playoffs they are tied with baltimore right now in terms of record we've talked before we expect baltimore to win out since they beat the browns that was their their toughest game on their schedule um so miami has to win out if they're going to make that final spot they're going to need to be an 11 and 5 team to make the postseason and they have two much tougher games they're winnable they face the raiders and then they face the bills who presumably won't have anything to play for at that point. Um, so it's definitely possible for Miami to win out and stay in that playoff spot and keep the Ravens effectively out of the playoffs. On the other hand, I'm kind of of the opinion that for them, everything this season is gravy, right? This is not the year Miami is supposed to be contending. That's supposed to be next year and beyond. So if they make the postseason, great. You know, it's a great experience. If they don't, it, it doesn't matter. You're already ahead of schedule. You've already got to what eight or nine 10 11 wins whatever it ends up being um that was already better than you were expected to be and your defense looks like it's it's phenomenal your head coach looks like he's excellent i would say they've already won compared with where they're supposed to be hey guys life is full of questions like what would happen to my family if something happened to me am i saving enough for retirement and is now the right time to start thinking about life insurance just to name a few no one should have to settle for answers to these life-altering questions that involve gray areas or leaving things to chance. And with Western and Southern, you won't have to. Backed by over 130 years of experience gathering insights, building strategies, and helping customers choose the right solutions, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. It's crazy how lopsided the AFC, not not lop, oh, lopsided. The NFL has felt a little lopsided this year because in this this weekend showed that there was four games with ten point spreads, even though the Jets did win. the The AFC might have a playoff team or a non playoff team with ten or eleven wins. Yeah, that's that's a, a possibility at this point. How deep the AFC has become at the top, and or how lopsided. The NFL has felt, you know, there's a lot of games each week where it just feels like, man, this team just doesn't have a shot. But you also have teams like the football team on the other, on the other conference that's sitting at six and eight and a number four seed because they're in, in you know, first place in the NFC East. Um, just an interesting year where it feels like there's a big split among teams. But Dolphins defense doing a nice job, forced four field goals from New England. And this has been, it's really... The interesting story we always come back to is this Belichick tree and not seeing a ton of success elsewhere and Brian, Brian Flores with not the best names on defense other than the secondary. I, I love how they've stitched it together and gotten really good performances from guys like Shaq Lawson and bringing in Kyle Van Noy from New England and drafting Raekwon Davis as an interior defensive lineman to stop the run where he's been excellent. 
they're making a lot of subtle good moves on that defensive side of the ball in Miami. So I think they are going to be fun to watch. I didn't mean to say that they're going to win six games next year and regress. They're they're moving in the right direction, Sam. Yeah, and Sorry, Dolphins fans. you're right though. They might regress anyway um, and be be a better team overall, right? Like the those turnover things are so. Um, fleeting and transient that it, it they tend to be the thing that propels a team somewhere special but they're not sustainable right like you think of the 2009 saints team suddenly put it all together with a boatload of turnovers on defense and that sent them to drew Brees' first super bowl um you know the bears have had seasons like that where they suddenly rack up a whole ton of turnovers and that's what propels they emphasize them. turnovers right those years but that's what propels them into contention like miami this year is getting a ton of turnovers which is propelling a team that we didn't think was on this track, or at least not yet, into potentially the playoffs with what could be an 11-5 and record. Like, if that heads back in the other direction, they might become a better team overall and just not have that kind of turnover look and, you know, maybe even become a game or two worse off. You know, they, they next season, they're 9-7 and seven or 10-6 and six and, you know, a better team, but they just didn't have all these turnovers bouncing in their direction. I want to wrap up the AFC and their playoff implications. Uh, Sunday, Sunday night football, Cleveland Browns, a uh, twenty to six win over the New York Giants. And we'll talk about the Ravens with their quick forty to fourteen win over the Jaguars. And what, or we can talk about the Jaguars when we talk about the Jets, right? what it means for them. But Cleveland Browns twenty to six over the New York Giants. Baker Mayfield absolutely dealing in this game. The Browns, um, it felt like they should have had a lot more than twenty points, given how well. They move the ball, but um, the biggest thing here, I think, if you go back to our early season takes, which was, hey, the Browns are moving the ball despite Baker Mayfield. If yeah. he ever figures it, if he ever gets back on track and starts making some throws, this team's really dangerous. The last few weeks, we've hit that point, and now the Browns, to me, the whole narrative on the Browns has shifted, and it's not because they just beat the Giants. It's because of the way Baker Mayfield has played these last few weeks. Confidence. Uh, the boss was talking about it last night on the show. He's the second highest graded quarterback since week seven. So think about this. This is When you talk about small sample sizes and all that stuff, if you just reverse the season, and we were at this point in week seven was now, you just reverse the season, and we, the whole narrative would change. Baker Mayfield is the best quarterback in this draft class and all that stuff. But that's what, you know, when you take small sample sizes. Since week seven, he's the number two graded quarterback and the offense is calling plays well. They can run the ball. They got the great offensive line. Massive question marks remain on the defensive side of the ball. But to me, the narrative has shifted on the Browns because of the way Baker's playing now. They've had, awesome. They've had such a weird season because, you know, week one was this train wreck. And then it was this sequence of Sterner and Sterner tests, right? The Bengals were the get-right game in week two. Then you had Washington. Okay, Washington's got an impressive defensive front. They can't cover anybody on the back end in week three. Um, so let's see how Baker does then. And then it's, well, Dallas. Dallas, at that point, we didn't know were a disaster. Um, and then you get Colts setback. Pittsburgh, even bigger setback. And then you start the process all over again. But since that stage... He has been getting better, and it's been week on week of showing a little bit more and a little bit more, and then against a better defense, um, against a better team, you know, stomp the Tennessee Titans, and then you show you can hang with Baltimore, the team that blew you out in week one, and now you come to this where, yeah, the Giants' defense is, is feisty, it's capable, and Baker Thank you. deals again. Um, and, 
fun, uh, good Baker Mayfield, when he's back on his game, is really fun to watch. He is. And, and look, I think the criticism earlier in the year from us was just in the fact, man, why, you know, why is he throwing every pass as hard as he can? And why is he not? He, he's, he, doesn't, he didn't have the full array of throws in his arsenal early on. There was that, and he just wasn't comfortable from the pocket and, and just going through reads. And his comfort level is there. And, and look, a lot of this is still him just finding a tight window and zipping it, zipping it in there. But he's doing it at a high level, right? I mean, he's, he's putting the ball where it needs to be. That touchdown to Jarvis Landry before the half, tight window, red zone. Uh, again, Chris pointed it out. It's like, this isn't even open. And he just puts it in a spot where his receiver can catch it. So that type of stuff, if he could go on that, if he's playing like that in the playoffs, man, the AFC playoffs are going to be incredible. When you talk about the Browns, the obviously the Chiefs and the Steelers, but the Browns, the Titans, the Colts, uh, whether it's the Dolphins or the Ravens, I mean, this is going to be an incredible AFC playoff this year. And if Baker's playing like this, the Browns are as dangerous as any of those non-Chiefs teams right now, aren't they? Yeah. Um, the one caveat that I would have is, you know, somebody pointed this out to me on Twitter last night that the, the Giants were playing that defense where they just didn't force Mayfield away from his first read ever. You know, the same thing we said about the Bengals, that if you let Baker Mayfield drop back and throw it to his favorite target or the, his first read, he will carve you up. That is what he's really good at. He's a very accurate quarterback. He's got the arm to make all the throws. When he's in sync, when he's in rhythm, when he's feeling it, it's game over. If you can force him beyond his first read, that's where the problems start to happen. And, you know, we... That's fine, but that's not that's not like a strategy, so to speak. Well, that's like is. saying all you have to do is get pressure with your front four. That's playing good defense. <laughs> you know, that's, well, no, the, if you're good on defense, you take away first reads. You, by tendencies and alignment, and you can generally get a pretty good idea of where a guy wants to go with the ball, or at least a better idea than the Bengals and now the Giants were able to over the last two weeks, and the better defenses will. Um, the important point, though, is that the Baltimore Ravens the week before were able to do more of that to Mayfield, and it didn't matter. So I'm not using this as a stick to beat Mayfield with, that he's just not capable of doing this. Um, he is, and he did it against a team like the Ravens. But, you know, as good as he was last night, again, like there's a caveat of the Giants set him up to, be, to look his best. Um, and he did. He looked you know, fantastic. But You, you know, know what was, you are, Sam? What's that? You're the guy that's so hesitant. You broke up with your girlfriend. And you want to get back with her, but you're just so hesitant and you're pulling out all, all of the negatives that came up the first time when you broke up, but it's the holidays, you know, you, you just, you really want to get back together. It's the holidays. You're feeling a little lonely. You really want to get back in that relationship, but you're like, yeah, but she did this. Yeah, but she did that. Yeah. But you know, she only looks pretty because of the light or whatever it is. That is you with Baker Mayfield, right? Just get back with it. Just get back. Look, go back to Baker. Leave the metaphors to the professionals. Don't. That's a good meta. That's don't a good way to the territory a while. that you clearly can't handle. You're in way over your head, and you're going to embarrass. That was a good yourself. one. Look, Baker. I would take a lot more out of the game they lost to Baltimore than the game they won against the Giants. Is all I'm saying. All right, then in take terms it. Of Baker take Mayfield, away. he was forced to his to a second read and beyond a lot more by Baltimore and still played well. That is the important part. We already know that if you don't if all you're doing is asking Baker Mayfield to basically be a human jugs machine, he's a really good quarterback. 
Um, the important thing, particularly for the postseason, is what happens when a team asks him to be more than that. And that's what the Ravens did, and he was still able to play well. That, to me, is more encouraging than last night. Just accept Baker back with open arms, Sam. Hmm. With, with arms wide open, as Creed would say. say Speaking of the Ravens, 40-14 to 14, <laughs> took care of business against the Jaguars. I like using the phrase, took care of business. Because yeah. I don't have much else to say about this game. Really good team, beat a bad team. The biggest news coming out of this game is the Ravens' playoff seeding and the Jacksonville Jaguars now because of what happened later in the day when the Jets beat the Rams. The Jags are sitting there with the number one overall pick. We talked about it on the PFF Daily, what it means for the Jets, what it means, means for the Jaguars. By the way, if you don't have the PFF NFL Daily, first off, appreciate everybody that has downloaded it and listened to it. You guys have exceeded our expectations already. And uh, if you haven't yet, go and subscribe PFF NFL Daily wherever you're listening to these podcasts because we're on every day, Monday through Friday, discussing hot topics like the number one overall pick that now resides with the Jag Jacksonville Jaguars. It does. Um, and this was like, this is, they did it. Right? This is this was their game plan this season is we're going to institutionally tank. We're going to set up like the worst roster in the NFL on paper and then roll into the season. Let's hope it's bad enough to get Trevor Lawrence. And the, coming into the year, we were like, I don't know if that's going to work. Gardner Minshew, too good. Too good to lose all those games and get you to the number one overall pick. Now, it helps that they sat him down for a bunch of games and therefore got him out of the picture. Um, but it turns out they actually, they were, they did such a good job of breaking down the roster that even Gardner Minshew can't escape with a few wins over the course of the season, uh, or at least so far. And they are now in position to draft a Trevor Lawrence and potentially completely change the future of this franchise and the the one thing i mentioned on the daily is the i, I talked about it a couple weeks ago as far as like what the afc east landscape could look like if, if trevor lawrence was with the new york jets and look they still could have adjusted fields or someone else the afc east is getting better and the jets could have their quarterback of the future soon but look at what happens in the afc south if trevor lawrence goes down there and you see deshaun watson and ryan Tannehill. And the Colts, the way they've built their team, whoever ends up leading the charge there, all of a sudden the AFC South looks really competitive if, if Trevor Lawrence is what we expected. Um, as far as the Ravens go, let's not overhype this, right? When this is expected, they took care of business is the right phrase, but they're going to come out of this three-game stretch, likely with three wins, and also likely with you know performances like this, man, where it's like, Hey, Lamar didn't have to throw the ball a whole lot. He didn't have a lot of incompletions in there. The offense moved the ball pretty easily. A lot of last year Ravens narratives, I think, are going to creep back up over these next few weeks. Yeah, and because it's looked a lot like last week, right? They've actually got that run game moving, and that's what makes everything else tick, right? When when Baltimore is able to scare teams with Lamar Jackson and with um, just that entire rushing attack generally, that's what opens up everything. We saw that last week against the Browns that, you know, late in the game, it's Lamar through the air, but that only opened up because everybody crapped themselves when Lamar <laughs> – crapped themselves – when Lamar Jackson got out into the open field and threatened to run. You didn't even mean to do that? I didn't. I didn't. That's just not, that's how natural it is for me. You know, the wordsmith and the, the metaphor. It, that's, that's why you can't wade into this, I will right? leave it to you. Um, leave it to you. So Lamar Jackson breaks off into the open field and the whole defense tears after him, forgetting the fact that there's a receiver behind them that he now is able to just dink over the top and get easy receptions. So the last couple of weeks – 
just two games, J.K. Dobbins has over 100 rushing yards. Lamar Jackson's got 160. Gus Edwards has got almost 100. Like, they are getting these plays that they just weren't getting earlier in the season. Now, the question is, again, can you do it against a team that isn't Jacksonville's and Cleveland's defense? A fair question. We'll see in the playoffs. It's going to be great. Um, man, I'm so excited about the AFC playoff picture. Uh, what else do we have here? But they're still on the outside looking in. They're they're in that dogfight with Miami. Like we assume that because of their record is so good for the rest of the season, they would bounce back into right. the play, playoffs picture. But they need help. They need Miami to drop a game somewhere. Yeah, I can't believe that one of those teams won't make it in a seven in a seven team season, right? A yeah. seven team playoff. Right. It's, it is crazy how deep the AFC has become at the top. Let's go to the NFC. Do you want? To, let's just go right to the Jets Rams game really quick. Okay. Again, the the real analysis coming out of this is the number one overall pick moving from the Jets to the Jaguars. Uh, the Jets win twenty three to twenty. They just played a really clean football game, but the from the Rams perspective, they were interviewing Sean McVay. He's embarrassed. He's he's disappointed. I, I thought that the Rams. I was joking that they were going to give up negative points because how well they've been playing on defense. They yeah. were not. Play- the, the Jets moved the ball. Sam Darnold played great. This was the worst the Rams defense had looked in a while, given who they were going up against. And now you raise questions about the Rams have, like, their high end is really good, man. You know, Goff can get hot, and the defense is legit and all that stuff, but the lows are pretty low, it seems, for the Rams, and those have popped up at times during the season here. Yeah, I mean, everybody, any, nobody got this game right from a preview standpoint, obviously. Um, I was saying that, you know, the Jets might not score in this game. They're going up against arguably the best defense in the NFL, a team that makes, you know, normal quarterbacks. The average passer rating this season for a quarterback is like 98, 99, something like that. And they were turning that into like 82 as a defense. Darnold's passer rating coming into this game was like 67 already. Like, what were they going to do to him? Um but clearly when a playoff-bound team like the Rams loses to a winless team like the Jets, it says more about the playoff-bound team than it does the Jets, right? Like, I don't think this is some giant revolutionary performance from the Jets. Other, like, the story for them is that they probably just cost themselves Trevor Lawrence for a meaningless game late in December. Um, for the Rams, I, that's where the, the interesting side comes from. And I think what you see is, this offense has periods where it's really good in rhythm, right? When this offense is in rhythm, functioning, everybody's where they should be, everybody's sort of um, in sync, it goes really well and it looks great and it carves up teams and it's efficient. And even when you are able to get pressure or even when you're able to upset them, um, they're pretty damn difficult to stop. When you cause this offense some problems, it seems to stall out completely. It doesn't like, it's not able to truck through these sort of hiccups and bumps in the road the way some other offenses and systems are. When it's off, it's off, and it's just the whole thing doesn't function. Um, And we've seen that at various points during the Sean McVay, Jared Goff run that every now and again it just hits a game where nothing is in sync and nothing's working, and the whole thing just it just collapses in a heap of like broken pieces at the side of the road. The other part of this with the Rams too, they have Seattle next week and it was going to be for the division and it still is still is for right. the division. Uh, but it was going to be, Hey, same record. 
for the division, seal the deal, win the season series against Seattle. The look-ahead game happens far more in college than it does in the NFL, especially with the Rams coming off a Thursday night game the previous week against the Patriots. They had the ex- they had 10 days to prepare for this and really came out flat. Uh, so that is that is the concerning part for the Rams. I don't know if there's a massive takeaway, though, because when you talk about the playoff picture, it's about what you do in a one-game sample. And, of course, this is a one-game sample. But there's a lot of really good one-game samples from the Rams on film this year, as you said. Whether you know, When it all is looking good, it's looking good. So I'm not ready to write them off for the playoffs. It's just one of those – the very best coaches – are really good for 16 games. Like they have a, they do a really good job of not letting their teams have letdowns or anything like that. And that's just something to keep an eye on. I think for McVay and the Rams. The other thing though, is um, you could probably chart a pretty accurate reflection of how good the Rams are simply by the PFF grades of their offensive line. Since Sean McVay has taken over. In fact, not even since he, since before then the Rams have basically gone as that offensive line has gone. When Sean McVay came in, they overhauled the line. They brought in John Sullivan at center, Andrew Whitworth at tackle. And the whole line was went from being one of the worst units in the NFL to being the best run-blocking unit in the NFL. Then last year, the whole thing fell apart. Whitworth was the only guy that played with his head above water. Havenstein at tackle was a disaster. Everybody inside was a mess, and they weren't as good. This year, one of the big stories has been that offensive line has been rebuilt and revamped and has looked great, even with Whitworth going down. Um, and the Rams have therefore been contending and been a playoff-bound team. This week, uh, you have David Edwards with a PFF grade of 50-something with a pass-blocking grade in the 30s. Um, you have, uh, we've got a couple more interior offensive linemen. Austin Blythe, grade of 40, pass-blocking grade of 11. Um, and Austin Corbett, so ba- the three interior guys. PFF grade of 46, uh, pass blocking grade of 44. So their interior offensive line fell to pieces against what is a formidable and powerful New York Jets interior. And when that happens, the Rams offense does not have a good answer and hasn't for a number of years now. Yeah, I mean, the Jets are pretty good on the interior D-line. You know, Quinn and Williams is good. It was a revenge game for John Franklin Myers, but you're still not expecting those guys to just dominate up front. Of course, Henry Anderson with the average grade and one pressure. It's a classic game. That's a hit, no? Didn't it? Wasn't it a hit? I think so. Yeah, I, saw Henry. I saw Henry get in That's there and he hit does. the guy down, sort of. Most predictable guy in the NFL. Love it. So, <laughs> all right, go check, up the, check out the PFF NFL Daily for the Jets' take on the number one overall pick moving to Jacksonville. And I'm not ready to – I'm not going to overreact to this when it comes to the Rams, although I think your point is fair. If you could beat them up up front, you know, they're a completely different offense. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Seattle. So Seattle 20, the football team 15. This was a good – I thought this was just a huge opportunity for the football team. Uh, they get down early. They score 12 points in the fourth quarter, make it close. But this was one of those like, hey, their defense continues to just play really good football and, and do a nice job against – what had been an explosive Seattle offense and has they've lost a little luster the second half of the season here, but just not having a you know consistent quarterback play from from the football team and Dwayne Haskins and he took a ton of sacks down the stretch as they're trying to make their comeback attempt. Uh, short passing game, just just nothing explosive from this Washington passing attack. So it's almost like, hey, great defensive performance. You hold Russell Wilson 
in this passing offense to almost nothing. Chris Carson breaks off a huge run. But the football team did great. They just need a quarterback, man. Yeah, and Haskins is frustrating. I, overall, I don't think he played that badly, but he's got this habit that Jacoby Brissett has as well, which is the mistakes that they make tend to be like back-breaking ones. You know, it's not yeah. even that you make, it's not even the volume of them. It's when they come and how they come that is just crippling to the offense. And, you know, Haskins, when he made the mistakes, just put them in such a hole that, you know, he's not capable of bringing them out of yet. He doesn't have the high-end ability um, to dig back out of the mess that he made. So, yeah, you're right. It was it was a blown opportunity. Now, it didn't matter because the Giants lost as well, so they're still in pole position for the NFC East. But, you know, the the chance to sort of rescue the the record by the end of the season and win the division with 500 or whatever is, is probably is gone, right? Sorry, that was Carlos Hyde with the big 50-yard run. The Seattle rushing attack in a rare a rare occurrence the seattle rushing attack far more productive than their passing attack in this one epa per play 0.33 for the seattle rushing attack which is really outstanding it's outstanding for a passing attack and they were negative as far as the pass game goes from just an expected points added standpoint so on one hand seattle's not winning pretty like they were earlier in the season on the other hand is that a good thing? Hey, Seattle's not winning pretty. Their, you know, their defense showed up when they needed them. Break off a couple big runs here and there, or just, you know, Carson's just tough to tackle in general, but Hyde breaks off the 50-yarder. Is that actually encouraging for Seattle to start winning in different ways? Prevent Russ cooking? Dial it no, back? No, you still want – they still need Russ to cook to win. <laughs> they still need him cooking. It's just if, you know, if – if I'm not even going to make the metaphor. Good. Good. Burners run out of gas or something like that. You need to, you need a backup plan. You need a generator. That's the running game. Okay. I, I'm I'm on a roll actually. I uh, yeah. Oh sure. I I think I'm on a roll. I know you do. Staying in the NFC, Tampa Bay Bucks 31, Atlanta Falcons 27. Falcons got up big, dominated the first half. They were up 17 to nothing. The Falcons continue to not be able to win games that they're up big. I don't know how you fix that, Sam. It's just. <laughs> Is it a, it's not, is it a culture thing? Is it just, I mean, what it really is, is just a talent thing. I mean, they they were a less talented team than the Bucs and they happened to go on a big stretch earlier in the game and Matt Ryan didn't miss earlier in the, early in the game. He did great. He was awesome. And in the second half, things just kind of regressed or is it like a legit man? We just don't know how to finish and finish football games in, in Atlanta. I mean, if there was one or two of them, you might say, yeah, okay, look, it's just talent catching up with you again. But that this happens so absurdly regularly to them, it has to be something institutionally, right? It's got to be institutional memory. It's got to be something broken that you need to you need to purge. You need to somehow get rid. You need one of these games to bounce your way so you can finally go, oh, it's the Steve Young monkey off your back thing, right? You finally need to get rid of this. <laughs> just get over the line in one of these games. Because what was ridiculous was how early in the game you're like, oh, this is happening again. Like, Atlanta's got this well in hand, and yet we all know they're losing. Like, it's not even in doubt. It's coming. Um, how are they going to do it this time? And it did. Like, it collapsed. They, they just blew the thing again. They blew the lead again. Tom Brady threw for over 300 yards in the second half alone. And my takeaway on this is going back to this Bucks offense and – all of the, the different answers that they have, you know, whether it's whether it's Chris Godwin, Mike Evans had a couple big plays. 
And then it's Antonio Brown with the 41-yard touchdown that ends up becoming the game winner in the fourth quarter. Once again, that's what makes the Bucs so dangerous is you know, when Brady's comfortable, when he has time to throw, these dudes are getting open, and they have they have a different answer, potentially. They have different answers for different schemes in different weeks. Antonio Brown had been quiet in recent weeks. He had been used as an underneath receiver, and then all of a sudden, you know, he's the deep threat for, what, 46-yard or whatever it was. So I think that's the thing about the Bucs. And once again, if we're talking about the Ravens over these next few weeks and what their narrative is going to be, the Bucs have the Lions on Saturday, and then the Falcons once again. They might be flying high right into the playoff picture, and we're going to be talking about this team as pretty dangerous as a, a wild card team, most likely. They're certainly dangerous. Um, I still have some questions about whether they've, you know, dialed up answers to all the things that teams can throw at them. You know, I've, I've kind of been working this narrative, or at least hoping for their sake, that just over the course of the regular season, they work out all the flaws in that offense and figure out where the weak points are. So that when they hit the postseason, when a team throws something at them, they have answers and they're able to function and they're able to dial up the response. I don't know if that's going to happen anymore. I've been, you know, waiting to see if they do adjust late in the season, and I, I just I don't see enough evidence of that happening. So what they're left with is the sum of the talent that they have on both sides of the ball, but particularly the offense. They might not have the answers, but on the other hand, they have Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Gronk, Brady, a good offensive line. Like, this is still a really, really talented offense. And even if they don't have the schematic answers, they're dangerous. So even if you have the game plan that can cause them problems and put them in their worst possible selves, those worst selves are still, you know, able to beat you just by sheer talent differential alone. Um, just go back to the Falcons for a second. Even if you forget, you know, the Super Bowl, the 28-3, the, the other games before that, just this season, they have blown a 39-24 lead against Dallas with five minutes left, four minutes and 57 on the clock. That uh, one was special. A 26-10 lead against Chicago with six minutes, 22 left on the clock. That was as special. A 24-7 lead against the Bucks now with four minutes and 35 left in the third quarter. So a lot more time to work with there, but like those are three of the most impressive collapses you're going to find from any team ever, and they all happened in the same year. Yeah. It, well, the, the thing to figure out for Atlanta, their defense looked really good early on. You know, like you start you start to see Deion Jones and Keanu Neal's fly into the ball. It was What I said on the preview show is don't sleep on their defense because they did look horrible earlier in the year, but they've started to uh, show some flashes in recent weeks. I think the question is how does that how does that disappear over the course of a game? How do they go from making things competitive to all of a sudden they're just overmatched. I, I, I think part of it's a talent issue. They are depleted in the secondary and, you know, they, it, it's tough to compete with a team like the Bucs that has all those legitimate receivers. But at the same time, Matt Ryan goes from almost like not even missing in the first half to they're just like, they're just off. You know, Ryan played a really good game. He was balling out and they're just off in the second half. A drop here and there, a fingertip miss here and there. There was just something missing there. But uh, important game for the box, I think, as far as they're supposed to win these these last few games. They make the fourth quarter come back and, and pull it off at uh, 31 to 27. Uh, where else we going here? We talked Jets, Rams. How about Eagles, Cardinals? Yeah. Jalen Hurts, 
look, I thought Jalen Hurts had the safety early on. The Cardinals jumped up to a big lead, but this Eagles offense is explosive now, man. Putting points up on the board. Yeah, and I thought Jalen Hurts looked a lot more impressive. Um, I, you know, there's still flaws, obviously, with any young quarterback, but he didn't look bad. And he actually, <clears throat> not only was he giving you just that baseline of, of solid quarterback play that Carson Wentz wasn't, where you're at least, you understand what else in the offense is functioning, but he's able to make some plays outside of structure. He's able to get enough done on offense that, yeah, the Philadelphia, the rest of the talent on the Philadelphia Eagles is able to show up big and, um, and function and he also you know it's this is always a really difficult thing to lean on because it's it's again it's a volatile thing that doesn't typically stand stay away or stay around for a long time but he was making some clutch plays right he delivered big when it was an important situation which is a big thing for them yeah I mean it, those are tough to sustain but it's like what you want to see out of your quarterback I, I think the biggest thing if you look at the the whole of Jalen Hurts's career he started as a true freshman at Alabama. And he started, he essentially started like the change in Nick Saban at Alabama. He, he evolved their offense to become more of a run first. You know, they, they had been a pocket passer, game manager type of attack. And then Jalen Hurts' rushing ability changed the course of that offense. And then he developed as a passer. He never really turned the ball over despite, he's, he's had a bunch of turnover worthy plays here. He's a rookie. He never really turned the ball over at Alabama. He took great care of the ball, took too many sacks, got better at that. Still, once again, likes to hold the ball, make big plays. You see some of that stuff pop up. But I like the way he evolved Alabama's offense, stepped into Oklahoma's offense. The whole thing about the stuff that we can't quantify teammates love them and they rally and blah, 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 whatever. Tua gets hurt in the SEC championship before he goes to Oklahoma. He comes in, he makes the big plays to help propel Alabama to the title game, national title game, or to the playoff by beating Georgia. All of like the, the quote unquote it factor type of stuff that doesn't necessarily show up on your spreadsheet, Sam, our mm. spreadsheets. Jalen Hurts has done a great job with that. So I give him a ton of credit. And we, we were just trying to, last week we were trying to say, look, the passing performance wasn't nearly as good as whatever the, the narrative is here. But there's definitely something to all of those things that we said adding up. And even when you don't get your best performance, hey, sometimes that shows up on third down and on fourth down and when you need big plays and just trusting that guy in the clutch. And I think there's something to that with Jalen Hurts. Uh, also before the game, Carson once said he's upset yeah. about being the backup. I think he wants out. And this goes back to our, this is a whole, we, we might have to redo the whole what to do with Carson Wentz podcast with new information here. Cause yeah. it goes back to your theory on don't upset the QB room. In my theory, if you do upset the QB room, it's 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 essentially filtering out the guys that don't need to be there. If you get upset about a new QB coming in, you're not my guy anyway. Carson Wentz is upset. Well, the Jalen Hurts thing is becoming really interesting because the the stats are still not really reflective of quite how he's playing, right? Like one of the things that last so last week one of the big things was well, he didn't take any sacks and Carson Wentz has been taking a sack every time he drops back and that's a huge difference to the Eagles offense. Well, this week he took a ton of sacks. And, you know, fumbles, and there was bad in there as well, right? So that thing that a lot of people were hanging their hats on as this giant leap forward completely evaporated week, one week into it. Um, and then the sort of turnovers, right? So right now, four touchdowns and zero interceptions through two games. On the other hand, five turnover-worthy plays. Now, those count the fumbles, uh, the ones on him anyway. Um, so it's But he's been putting the ball in harm's way and has yet to be punished for it. So... 
plus plus an intentional grounding. That probably goes. That's essentially a turnover-worthy play. The intentional grounding for a safety from a not so pressured pocket. Right. You know, that so was, he that he was, has been putting the ball in harm's way or creating significant negative plays for the offense in a way that isn't yet quite being captured with the box score stats. So I I don't want to look. I've been impressed. Certainly week one to week two. I you know week one was what it was, but this week I thought he was a lot more impressive and certainly gives you an elevated level of baseline for that offense that Carson Wentz wasn't giving you. Um, but I don't know if we've seen enough yet for you to be like, oh, yeah, Hertz is the guy in 2021. It's time to kick Wentz to the curb and that giant contract and just get the hell him, get him the hell away from this team with his you know, malcontent attitude to being a backup. And like, no, like, I don't know if we can be that confident in Hertz yet. And I don't know if there's enough time left in the season for you to be, right? So... We now have two games where we get to see do, does the num, do the numbers swing back um, and start reflecting a little bit more what he's doing, or does he have like a four-game stretch at the end of the season where his statistics are going to look phenomenal? And because of all the intangibles, right? Teammates love him. He's got that swagger. He's got some clutch plays. You know, you can and the, look at the look at the jump. Look at the overall jump in the offense. You're going to be able to, if he has two more games like this you are going to be able to construct an incredibly compelling case that he's like the slam dunk starter in 2021. It's not even a, a, a conversation, but the grade will be like a huge red flag or a flashing warning light that like, just be really careful what you're doing here because it's not quite as, as it seems. Right. Because again, to your point, if you just look at the stat sheet yesterday, passer rating of 102.3, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Great. It is those hidden plays, which is dropped interceptions or fumbles that aren't showing up there, plus the six sacks that show up in some some advanced stats. I, I would say be careful. Right, uh, right now, through that. two games, he's got a passing a PFF passing grade of fifty four, right? Which is, I mean, it's bad. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to admit that he's looked better than that, right? But not, you know, not all the way better than that. Like if you're hitching your wagon to a guy with a passing grade of fifty four to be your quarterback next, like in future based off a of sample size for like four games. You are taking a monster gamble at a position where you already have like a gargantuan contract tied to a guy that's now a backup. I, I predict his passing grade gets better Same. over the next few weeks Agreed. and the stats get worse. Yes. Over the next few weeks. Right, I leaving you in this like middle ground of what do we do? Right. Um, the, the tricky part here is, and here's what I like to do, Sam, not I don't I, when I say when I don't come off my initial takes, it's because I, I don't want to ride the massive roller coaster here. Right. The, no matter what happens, Jalen Hurts is working with a five-game sample size, four-game sample size. Yeah. Like, that's it. No matter what happens, and if the take before was we can increase his trade value, maybe or maybe he shows flashes that he's going to be the future, or we're still going to stick with Wentz. Don't come off what you thought four weeks ago, based off of a, a game or two along the way or even the four games along the way you still have to make the best decision ultimately though it makes i think it shows the value of just drafting quarterbacks and take that high level view and drafting this this second round quarterback which is actually giving you maybe trade bait maybe a better just from an overall team building standpoint another asset um either for your team or for someone else from an arizona standpoint big play passing game in this one 406 yards for kyler murray on 27 completions DeAndre Hopkins goes off again. And, you know, you could just see the potential for this offense 
when they're humming. I think the, the Eagles offense just a uh, defense just continues to get smoked, however, over these uh, these last few weeks. They couldn't stop Aaron Rodgers. And uh, yeah, career high for Kyler Murray with those 406 passing yards in this one. So Arizona, another, you know, when the end, we talk about the AFC playoff picture, Arizona's another tough out, especially now that Kyler running the ball, he had another spectacular touchdown run. That is when they are at their best in Arizona. It is. And I think it's important that that rushing threat from Kyler Murray is ticked up again. You know, we talked about how big a problem that was when he had the shoulder injury. They dialed down how much they were using him. And that was what was keeping the floor of this Arizona offense so high. And when he wasn't giving them that anymore, that started to falter. And he was, the offense wasn't as good. So, yeah, career high in passing, but also eight uh, eight rushing attempts. Like This was Kyler Murray back kind of towards where he was supposed to be. Um, and then New Hopkins making one of the absurd catches of the season. Just a ball gets fired into his hands, somehow keeps hold of it despite a guy, despite a late adjustment to it and a guy trying to rip it out the whole way. This actually, this game featured two of the most ridiculous wide receiver plays of the week. You had New Hopkins with that incredible catch, and you had Larry Fitzgerald catching the ball almost like through a, a defensive back, Nikel Roby Coleman, Love those. between him and the, the ball incoming. And it wasn't one of those ones where you like it was coming at a point where you can just catch it and the, cor- the corner doesn't really have a huge impact. He had to adjust from like – he had to adjust down and around – the corner in a way that I don't know that's a difficult thing to do without a defender in your way let alone with the guy completely obstructing what you're trying to do like Larry Fitzgerald Hall of Famer snags an absolutely absurd one for a touchdown it is crazy that he's still able to do that at his age when you look at this game another high level view when you look at how much DeAndre Hopkins brings to the table in this particular game you look at that offseason move to pick him up, and it's like, all right, the legitimate difference between last year's Cardinals offense and this year's Cardinals offense was this, like, in this game, you saw it. If this was last year's Cardinals offense, they might not win. You know, they might score only 24, and they lose 26 to 20, whatever. They're, they're, Hopkins just really changes the ceiling of this offense. We talk about Kyler Murray rushing ability, sets the floor. Nuke Hopkins sets the ceiling for this offense, and when he goes off like this, like a true number one wide receiver, the Cardinals are a completely different offense and so dangerous. And that is the difference from last year to this year. And it's why you pick up a new Hopkins for a second round pick in the off season. Yeah. <laughs> when the trade is that good, you pick that up regardless. <laughs> All right, let's go Chicago, Minnesota. Just want to throw this out there to you. There are people writing the article. They're writing it, Sam. It's been written. It's been typed, written. It's been penned. It's time for the Chicago Bears to give Mitchell Trubisky a new contract. Is Mitchell Trubisky playing his way into a contract extension? Uh, I mean, you've got to hope not, right? Like, for the for the sake of the people that support the Chicago Bears, please let's not fall into this trap. Come on. Like, whatever about how fun, you know, it's all, it's all fun and games. Matt Nagy trotting out the tired old, you know, yeah, this is the greatest Trubisky ever. He's definitely turned a corner. It's amazing to watch. It's phenomenal. But we all kind of know that's bullshit, right? And if you actually buy into that and are like, oh, no, yeah, this is this is real, and hand him over a new contract having – you decline the guy's – you know he's not the guy. You can't possibly have learned anything different in the last few weeks. Stop this. Stop this now is all I'm saying. So a couple things about this. The funny thing is, 
three minutes left in the fourth quarter. The Bears are winning. And Trubisky just throws in just a horrible end zone interception, right? To essentially allow the Vikings an opportunity to come back. Okay. And again, even Keel Steve stepping up here. Does that article get penned? It doesn't get written. Do we put pen to paper if, for whatever reason, Kirk Cousins' last Hail Mary happens to get caught by a Viking instead of a bear? Right? If that had happened, which is completely out of Trubisky's control, you'd be like, well, Mitch Trubisky does it again. You know, he fails the Bears. End zone interception. Can't seal the deal. But obviously the Bears' defense makes a stop at the end or whatever, and and it wasn't a, it wasn't the case. I, I had a, a, a wise boss once, or at least a boss, one time say, it's not about being good enough. You know, we're not good. At, we're not just being good enough. And from a, you, you got to be great. Turn, take it from good to great, all those, all these cliches, right? We're not a good enough company. Too many, if, if you are really evaluating quarterbacks and your goal is to just find a starter, give me one of the top 32. You're failing as from a team building standpoint. You're not just trying to find a starter. You're not trying to find good enough. You're not waiting for Trubisky to show like, seven good plays in a game and it's like all right he's back he's good enough now he's our guy it's ridiculous you're trying to find a great quarterback you have to now if they're if you're saying like hey let's construct a little backup qb deal for trubisky and bring him back like that's fine but you're not building the franchise around him because he showed signs of life for a couple weeks which really were fake and weren't actually signs of life mitchell trubisky for the season right now has a PFF grade of 62.7 and a passing grade of 60.3. That is below Carson Wentz. It is right above Colt McCoy, uh, Sam Darnold. It's bad. It's not good. That That is a pretty crappy grade. And that's like the bright sign of Mitchell Trubisky. That's like him turning the corner. He's a bad quarterback. It's sad, right? I get it. From a personal point of view, I'm sure everybody in the building would love nothing more than this guy that they like mortgage the franchise for than to finally get it, the light to go on and, you know, everybody to be vindicated and Trubisky to lead them to the promised land, much like Josh Allen is rewarding the faith that the Buffalo Bills brass all showed in him. But it isn't happening, right? We've seen zero evidence of it. We haven't seen growth. We, it's the same guy that he's been since he got there. And just because it's a few of those plays that bounced your way over the last few weeks is changing nothing. Um, so, yeah, no, look, I, I agree. If you want to say, all right, he can come back as a backup on a cheap contract, fine. Maybe he's playing his way into that deal. If you genuinely think that anything in the last few weeks has changed whether he can be your franchise quarterback or not going forward, you are out of your minds. Look, the offense has played well overall. He, he picks up a few first downs with his legs. You know, I'll, I'll give him the same credit I've given these other uh, quarterbacks with rushing ability. The, the floor does get elevated. I mean, maybe we haven't given him enough credit from that perspective, right? The same way we've given a Taysom Hill or a, a Kyler Murray or Jalen Hurts or whatever. That There's some truth there. David Montgomery's running the ball well now. There's some good things happening with the Bears offensively that weren't happening earlier in the season. Um, and I'm not even saying that the Bears are really considering Mitch Trubisky, but like the Chicago media, I, I just saw it. I thought it was interesting. And uh, just don't overreact. Still still look for the – you're not just settling for an Eric Kramer or whatever here because he had – Eric Kramer had like a good 1995 season. Come on, Bears. You, you need better than that. The ba- and, and it's the point I made about Mar- 
Marcus, when I tweeted the other night that Marcus Mariota is a top 32 quarterback in the NFL, again, it wasn't like call him immediately, make him your starter. That would also be settling for good, but it would be settling for probably better than Trubisky. Like Mariota's baseline is far higher than what Trubisky showed from a throw for throw standpoint his entire career. So um, at least raise the bar a little bit at this point in Chicago. The Bears were that late Arizona victory away from jumping into the playoffs all of a sudden. Like they, they were. They're, they're 500. They're a game back from Arizona. And if the Cardinals game had gone the other way, the Bears would have ended yesterday as the number seven seed in the NFC. And a dis- disappointing finish for the Vikings. Yeah. I think I still think there's signs of life there, though. The rookie corners, uh, you know, playing well, Cam- playing well overall, Cam Dantzler and uh, Jeff Gladney. I-, I think there's hope for the future. Bottom line is that the Vikings were rebuilding with a better than average quarterback this year. And it all lands as as a middle-class football team. Their problem, yeah, their, the Vikings' problem is that they have a lot of holes in that roster now and not that much room to work with because of Kirk Cousins' contract, right? This was a contract that makes sense if you have a championship-caliber roster, but makes it really hard to maintain or assemble a championship-caliber roster. So their biggest encouragement is Cameron Dantzler, who, as a third-round pick at corner, is started to look really good over the past few weeks. If he pans out, that's one of those spots you got nailed. You also already nailed Justin Jefferson. In terms of uh, plugging two of the biggest holes on this roster, you've done a fantastic job. Now you need to do the same trick on the defensive line where you still have nobody. The offensive line is still kind of crappy. You need to fix that. You still need more than one corner. So you've got more work to do a cornerback. Let's hope Jeff Gladney can be that. But my point is, the Vikings still have a lot of work to do to patch up major holes on that roster. And you just, you don't, it's such a small target to hit because of the contract that Kirk Cousins has. You have to basically nail these drafts for, you know, a couple in a row. The San Francisco quarterback situation, we're going to talk about the Niners in a second here. Their QB situation, also probably worth the PFF daily. What would they do? And the Shanahan connection with Kirk Cousins, could the Vikings... Could they work out a trade? Do they have the flexibility with Kirk Cousins to work out a trade? Would Kyle Shanahan be interested there? Would Kyle Shanahan actually see Kirk Cousins as an upgrade to Jimmy Garoppolo? Maybe slightly. I don't know. I think but he should. I, the the Niners' perspective on all of this, I think, is fascinating. And I wonder how many other players there could be, potentially, including the Vikings. Yeah, I mean, I think you should see Kirk Cousins as a significant upgrade to Jimmy G at this stage. Significant? Uh, yeah. Just because of health or when they're on the – because on the field, no, both. I think there's a massive difference. Both. I think he is – clearly, he's more durable than Jimmy G at this point. And I think he's also at this stage significantly better than Garoppolo has. It's not It's not the difference between, you know, Mahomes and, and a random middling quarterback. But I think you can be pretty comfortable of knowing right now that Kirk Cousins is a consistent – inside but fringe top 10 quarterback. I don't know that you can say the same thing about Jimmy G even when he's healthy. I want to see if Shanahan is is buying into the good to great theory. Give me some good to great. We're good right now. How do we become consistently great in San Francisco? They lose 41 to 33. What a wild game as far as big plays goes. The 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 33 for San Francisco includes a useless Hail Mary. Yes. at the end of the game from C.J. Beathard to Kendrick Bourne. But in fairness, that only yards. offset a an onside kick that was returned for a touchdown. Oh, right. I mean, just there was just a ton of scoring there. Good good job on red zone to show all the scoring. It's like, here, here's all this stuff that happened that really didn't affect the game. Yeah, a, a kick return for a touchdown by C.D. Lamb. Uh, 
look, Dallas's offense is starting to uh, move the ball more efficiently in recent weeks now. This is what we thought they were going to look like, right, without Dak Prescott. It's like, oh, don't panic. Right. Andy Dalton's still capable. Look at all the weapons you have. This will still be okay, and it wasn't, and everything fell apart, and you didn't have Andy Dalton for a while. There was the Ben DiNucci era to suffer through. And, but this is what we were expecting to see is that, hey, those guys are still absurdly talented. And, you know, Zeke Elliott misses this game giving a chance to Tony Pollard, who's graded absurdly well whenever he's gotten an opportunity before in limited snaps. He comes in, he's the the starter, the bell cow, has another incredible grade. Like suddenly, not like the Zeke Elliott contract was already a giant millstone around your neck because he hasn't been playing well. When he's being outperformed by his backup, now it looks ridiculous. Like it's, now it just looks like a train wreck. Followed with a 40-yard touchdown run. He, he's, he's got better big playability than Zeke. Zeke's more probably more consistent down-to-down, like going to get you five to seven when it's there. But Pollard has shown some of that big playability since he's uh, come into the league. Nobody, so, nobody in uh, the NFL has a higher yards per carry after contact than Tony Pollard over the last couple of years. Like, not, not Derrick Henry, not Nick Chubb. It's Pollard, and I've always, like, weeded it out of the numbers because he's got a low sample size. But, you know, it comes in another 12 attempts, uh, five yards after contact on average, breaks four tackles. It isn't going away. Like, he's, he's playing at that level pretty consistently whenever he gets an opportunity, which, again, is making that Zeke deal look worse and worse. Nick Mullins with some bad turnover-worthy plays in this one. He now has a... A Trubisky-like line with a 56 overall grade this year, but an 84 passer rating, which again isn't good in the NFL these days, but it's one of those like, oh, if you see a 56 passing grade, you're thinking you're going to see, you know, like a 70 passer rating or whatever. It's still 84 because, again, that, you know, that Niners offense um, can still move the ball and they do some good stuff. And, you still, and you're averaging 7.5 yards per attempt on the season, but uh, they're having a tough time with uh, your tin cup analogy after that one game earlier. Yeah, I mean, stitching it together. Mullins has gone from being a quarterback that actually takes care of the ball recently well and, and can execute this offense to a pretty good degree to being like a turnover machine. Um, and not, you know, this, like his ceiling isn't particularly high. So if you're going to be turning the ball over a ton as well, now you're just a problem. Demarcus Lawrence with a huge game. He got a sack. He doesn't have many sacks this year. So, you know, Dallas fans are have soured on him. But you know us over here. Look at the pass rush grade, 88.4 right now on this on the year, despite having just six sacks. Demarcus Lawrence, not the problem up front. Creating plenty of havoc, beating blocks, creating pressure. Big game from him in this one. Dallas is interesting if they could finish the season looking a little bit more like this as we had expected. Uh, they're still in the playoff picture, right? Listen, NFC East guru. They're 5-9. and nine. How yeah. far back? That's only a game back from Washington, and they still have at least one NFC East team to play. I think it's still in Washington. It. They can shockingly still win this division. Yeah, sneaky, sneaky is sneaking up there. And once again, when they they're a tough, they're a tough team to defend as long as Dalton's competent. They are, in fact, both the ball both NFC East uh, games left. They face the Eagles and they face the Giants, so they can't get a game back on Washington by beating them. But they. They can definitely improve their tiebreaker scenarios. Keep an eye on them, them Cowboys. It was like a, an exciting 1994 game all over again. Dallas 41, 49ers 33. Did I hit every game? Uh, I think I got every game. 
looking through really quick. We got it all. We covered all of week 15. Don't forget the PFF NFL daily. Go find it. Subscribe to it. We thanks already. Thanks already for all the support. Give us the old five-star review though, too. We appreciate those. We've had a ton already and it's good to know. We started the NFL daily because of our listener feedback and the fact that uh, we enjoy just talking football. We just needed more time. Again, two hours isn't enough for us. So, also narcissism. Uh, check Don't forget that. What's that? Also narcissism. Don't forget that. Oh, yeah. We like to hear ourselves talk mm -hmm. quite a bit, mm -hmm. which is why I take forever to wrap these things up. Anyway, that's it. The show's over. Week 15's in the books. Check out Pittsburgh and Cincinnati Monday Night Football. And then we'll be back here. We'll, we'll try to drop the show early this week. Christmas Eve's on Thursday. We're going to try to drop the show early, hopefully sometime on Wednesday to preview all of the week 16 NFL action. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you guys later in the week.